You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. Good afternoon, evening, morning, whenever it is that you're listening to this podcast. Uh, welcome back to another edition of Tomahawk Nation's Hoops Dedicated Podcast. I am your host, Matt Minnick, as always joined by Michael Rogner here on the Sunday after Thanksgiving. Uh, Michael, did you enjoy a nice Thanksgiving? I did. I, uh, we had some traditional lobster rolls for Although all the Rogners lost at sea, you know, honored over the years. So it was good. Nothing says America like, like lobster rolls. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, we, we had my, probably one of my favorite, I don't know if a lot of people make this or not. My uh, mother-in-law does a really good, it's like a pineapple dish that you just basically have cheddar cheese. All over. It, it's sort of a warmed pineapple cheddar cheese dish mm-hmm. uh, that always is a, is a hit around the Thanksgiving and holiday time. So that, that's a good one. And then we had the smorgasbord of meats, the hams, the turkeys, the duck. It was a big crowd at, at, uh, at the in-laws house this year. Yeah. I might have to try that pineapple thing. That sounds good. Oh, maybe I'll get, uh, I don't know if there's more to it than that, if there's some butter or something else in there too, but I'll, uh, I'll maybe see if I can get a recipe or if it truly is just pineapple and cheddar cheese. Um, yeah. So a lot of other stuff's happened since we, besides, uh, besides feasting on food, there's been a feast of hoops and, and football too. Uh, and, you know, before we get into maybe some of the, some of the hoops talk, I think it's just at least noteworthy that another football, another Florida state football season has come and gone. Uh, I, w- I was hoping this year I, I'd set aside some money and some time to go to a bowl game and it, and it isn't going to happen because of a, a loss against Florida where it looked like maybe there were chances to win and that, but you know, the team didn't pull it out, but I, I think there has certainly been some improvements 
made this year that from, you know, we can see the coaching staff has things on the right track. Michael, I know you've watched most of the football games. Do, do you have any thoughts on FSU's football season this year? Yeah, I used to, you know, live and die by football games and I'd get, you know, terribly upset if we lost a game like that. But something has changed in the last several years that has enabled me to just be a little more zen about these things and, and watching us with the uh, onside kick at the end was just the old Charlie wow. Brown, the old <laughs> yeah, Charlie Brown that, kick. Yeah. That was just a beautiful way to kind of sum up the state of Florida state football. But you, you know, it, you mentioned that, that Florida state is on track and it certainly feels that way to me. Um, you know, we kind of probably have to hit another home run in the transfer portal. And, but if we get a good class, then, you know, suddenly you've got a bunch of talented young guys that, that Norvell targeted, you know, and we right, can start, start, yeah, start building that team, you know, by position groups, as opposed to just a bunch of guys that just happen to, you know, commit to Florida state and we figure out what to do with them. Yeah. I, I mean, since this is a basketball podcast uh, and, and a Florida state one at that, it, you know, I was preparing for this, uh, for our, our little chat today, and it it struck me that the situation of Florida State's football program is perhaps not that dissimilar from the state of the program that Hamilton inherited from Steve Robinson. Uh, and, you know, this is, we're talking two decades ago, but when, you know, for folks who maybe don't know, Florida State was the worst basketball program in the ACC when when Leonard Hamilton took it over and and one of the probably five worst you know major conference programs in the country and and to your point Michael at that stage recruiting meant I just need bodies to be able to play basketball games and and I mean they were coming off years where they were losing to teams like American University and and it really was, you know, some of the early years, there were teams that had a guy like Tim Pickett, who maybe is the football's version, you know, the Jordan, basketball's version of Jordan Travis, just sort of lightning and made things happen. Al Thornton, uh, maybe you could say was like a Jermaine Johnson or something that just kind of took over games. But the teams didn't know how to win as te- they, the teams were really just figuring out how to be a winning program. And, and it, it wasn't until Hamilton got to a point that he could actually start to recruit guys to fit positions within a system, as opposed to just, I need somebody who wants to play for my team. Does it, I mean, I don't know. Does any of this make sense to you? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the, the, you, you can see in Hamilton's first team, like he's, he's trying to, build a roster that you know would probably look similar to today you know i mean he had trevor harvey if anybody remembers that guy you get an award but he was 611 you know 230s big you know big body in the middle and then you know surround him by a bunch of athletic guys and you know luckily he had tim pickett who could you know was worth a few wins by himself but right just luckily we have jordan travis (laughs) yeah exactly and it's it's guys who just kind of fit but don't really you know and and uh you're rolling adam wallace off the bench you know and just andrew wilson and these guys who you know were, were you know okay players but it's just not really fitting into the system and the other the you know the other part is the cultural side of things you know mm. they talk about the 
the culture of FSU basketball now. And, and since Ham has been able to cast a wider net, you can really you can really dial down on the intangibles, which is what those early teams were missing. You know, it was there were there were some guys on there who would never play for Florida State now, um, not because of what they did on the basketball court, but because of what they did off the basketball court. Yeah, and and they just didn't always finish games either. I mean, there were just a lot of years where we were on the bubble. We had a, we struggled to win away from home. I, I mean, and I and I know the football team did win a road game. I think this year against Boston College, but we 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 certainly were a better home team than we were on the road. I, I think there was some year, couple back to back years where we went zero and eight in the ACC on the road uh, in some of those early Hamilton years. We we would pull an upset or two at home, but they they weren't. We didn't have consistent play, and we didn't have consistent closing time play. Uh, and, and a lot of that I do think goes back to the culture and you see now, I mean, what didn't, didn't FSU basketball just set an all-time NCAA record for most consecutive overtime wins at 12, yeah, 12 in a row. Yeah. Uh, and, and I don't know, I, I think it's a true testament to a guy being given time to get his guys, get his system and, and lay a bit of a foundation that to your point then allowed him to cast a bit of a wider net and, and start to be a little pickier about not just the players and their player skill sets that they were bringing in, but also their, their cultural and personality skill sets that they were bringing to the team. Yeah. And if you, if you look at, at coaches today, they don't get time. I mean, there's, there's a graphic yesterday during the game of there's been like five coaches, uh, football coaches that have been fired in, you know, the first three years of their contract or something like that, you know, and, and Hamilton was given plenty of time, you know, it took him seven years to get to, to get to the tournament. And you just kind of wonder if that's going to happen, you know, what happened these days and with football, the, you know, there's so much more of a focus on football because of the money involved that, you know, you, you, you wonder how much time guys are going to get. And, uh, you know, coach Norvell's in his second year, he's appears to be moving in the right direction, but if we don't, you know, if we don't show improvement next year, then, you know, it's a good thing Florida state doesn't have a ton of money. Cause they'd probably, you know, start thinking right. about mo- moving on. And it's, you know, it's this, it's this weird situation for the football team where, we kind of have to give the guy time and he inherited a total shit show. So, yeah, you know, he de- he deserves, he deserves to have some time. I don't know if seven years is, you know, is reasonable, but you know, back in the day uh, in terms of basketball, it was. And, and to I'll say this, to be fair, I think, you know, Hamilton had probably two teams in the first five years that were NCAA tournament quality, you know, fewer teams made the tournament back then. Uh, they still relied on an outdated mo- metric of the RPI. I-, I think that if if the NCAA tournament selection criteria as of 2021 was used in 2006, that I mean that team makes the NCAA tournament. Uh, and so I I think that as someone who is a season ticket holder to the football games and and donates money to the program and stuff, I, I think t- you're right. I mean the football team took a step forward this year. This year made me feel like that year with the basketball program when we, we were an NIT level team with Tim Pickett and Nate Johnson. And, and like, we won some games that, you know, Hey, it was, it's like, Hey, it's exciting again. We, we weren't going eight or nine and 20 or whatever for the season. 
it was exciting to go to some games again. And I think next year, you know, really, I mean, it's the same. It's not that different of a story. What did Hamilton do? He hit the transfer portal. We got Tony Douglas, right? Like transfer from Auburn. He had to rely on some Juco transfers. And he had that one recruiting class with Chris Singleton and, and Dokies and some others that kind of set things over the top. You know, I'm told by our, I mean, we've got a podcast, you know, go over and listen to the three stars, right. Um, That are that the football recruiting podcast told we have a pretty good recruiting class. And maybe that's the class that can be the Chris Singleton class uh, for, for Hamilton. Uh, You got to see continued improvement on the field, but I feel like as long as they build an offense that caters to Jordan Travis and the skill set that he has at at a minimum, I'll feel like, you know, at least it's exciting to go to games again. And, and we have a chance every time that I walk into a game in Doe Campbell. Yeah. Who could forget the Dulkies game, you know, against North Carolina. And that was right. You know, that was that class, the Luke locks, the pallet, the pass to uh snare to, to, was that beaten Duke that, in Cameron? Uh, yeah. 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 The Carl mean, White were, with the screen, the drag screen at midcourt. Yeah. Uh-huh. Th- those are fun games. And you know, the, the, you mentioned the Tony team from 2006-7 when he broke his hand. That team's probably a five seed, you know, using modern... Modern metrics. Criteria, yeah. So. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that team was nine and seven in a good ACC and, and was a top 25 or 30 basketball team on all the advanced metrics. So, mm-hmm. yeah, that like you said, that's a five or a six seed and someone that no one wants to play in March. Uh, and, and, you know, that, hey, if if... if Florida state can make a bowl game that next year. I think that's like another step in the right direction. You know, that's, that's making the NIT, I suppose. Um, all right. Well, I'm sure you can find other podcasts to listen to, to football talk. Uh, but it just, it struck me watching the game yesterday that it seemed like maybe Norvell was having his, uh, early, early Hamilton era, Tim Pickett team of let's just get some excitement back in the stands. And, uh, and I think he accomplished that this year. A lot has happened on the on the hard court since we last spoke as well, in addition to the to the loss to UF on the gridiron. Um, let me just run through the I think the last time we spoke, we were previewing uh, the Penn and Florida games and, and those we were correct about the problem for floor, for UF, I, you know, Ka- Colin Castleton. I think we underestimated just how big of a problem he was going to be for us. And to be quite honest, Mike White looks like he has his toughest and most physical team uh, that he's had in his tenure. So it was, it started off the season with a win and a loss, uh, 71 55 loss on the road at UF. And now Florida States uh, rattled off four consecutive victories, all, although of varying degree of quality, uh, 59-54 at home over Tulane, a 73-45 to thrashing of Loyola Marymount on a neutral court in Jacksonville, followed up by an 81-58 to demolition of Missouri the next night in Jacksonville, and then came home two days later uh, and, and won an a overtime game against Boston University that I don't feel like it should have ever gone to overtime, uh, but nonetheless, the Seminoles pulled it out 81-80, to and in March, all you need uh, is close wins. It doesn't matter. Sometimes it doesn't matter. Just keep, keep winning. Uh, so that's where we stand. Things are at five and one, uh, after maybe the first, I don't know, fifth of this quarter of the season, uh, quarter to fifth of the season, Uh, Michael, do you have any high level trends or takeaways from these first, uh, six games? Yeah, I think, I think the take home for me is that 
the team is just wildly inconsistent inconsistent at this point we've played three really 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 good games and we've played three games where we kind of laid an egg you know florida tulane and bu you know get blown out at florida in the final 10 minutes barely beat tulane barely beat bu you know those are teams that we should be rolling and then on you know on the flip side that game against Loyola Marymount was one of the best games that Florida State has played. And, you know, and if it matches seasons. up with, yeah, with the best games from last season, like when we beat NC State by like 30 and, and Virginia by 20. Um, you know, Loyola Marymount's a good team. And Missouri, we totally, you know, curb stomped them. And then the opener against Penn, you know, was, a, was the same kind of way. It was just, I think even the coaches were a little surprised by the, by how well we handled Penn. So, We've got a lot of new faces, you know, I don't, I don't want to call it a young team because some of them are transfers, you know, and, uh, but, you know, youngish. And, but the, but the main part is that, you know, trying to integrate these new guys in, into the system is, uh, you know, going to be a challenge. And let's hope that come March, we're playing more like we did against Loyola Marymount than we did about how we did against BU. Yeah, that low, I mean, the West Coast Conference is a good, is a good league most years, but this year, if folks haven't paid attention, the West Coast Conference, I mean, honestly, Michael, you're out there in California, but I mean, is it silly to say that four teams from the West Coast Conference could make the NCAA tournament? Absolutely. And, and you know, if it were not for... Absolutely Pepperdine, silly or not, or possible? Oh, no, no. That's yeah. totally, I think probable at this point. I mean, yeah. the, the top four teams are, uh, I think, 26 and two, Okay, you know, with... and and uh you know have have really good wins over lots of other west coast teams from major conferences so you know it's not a stretch i think loyola marymount will will probably you know kind of be on the outside looking in out of that conference but they're going to get plenty of opportunities to play really good teams and 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 at the end of the season that win against loyola marymount's going to look pretty good yeah, I think so. I mean, I think on, especially on a neutral court, that's a that's a quad two win uh, in my mind. I, something would have to go drastically wrong for for their season, and and hey, I, I suppose there's the outside chance that that they overachieve and that sneaks into quad one. But it feels like a good quad two win, uh, and then and then yeah, like and I know there were tired legs, and I know that there were some uh, difficult circumstances with the tragic passing of of Raekwon uh, Evans brother. And so he didn't play, but you know, the Boston university game was just a, I, I don't know, just, just a, a shit show. Really? I mean, it, it ne- we never really felt like in control that you looked at the stats and you'd think, how is this only a six or seven point game? Florida state had fewer turnover percent, you know, higher, higher rebound percent, higher assist percent generating a lot of turnovers and and yet it was a six or eight point game and and we saw the ending where where boston hit a couple of deep deep threes to send it to ot um what is that so you're just from what i hear from you though is that that just seems to be the hallmark of a team that has two or three guys who have played with each other for three years and they're trying to get three or four other guys who have played with each other for three weeks on the same page like it just seems like polite and osborne are are like anticipating a player being somewhere where they're not and at the same time then it just causes general standing around maybe i don't know yeah and that's where raycon evans is so important because he you know he is 
more used to having the ball in his hands. And when we turn to play to play point guard, it's just not going to be all that successful. And Jalen Worley has had his moments, but he clearly, you know, does not understand the offense at, at, at this point. He's, he's, he's working on it and he'll have, he'll be, you know, one, he'll, I, I, I think still think that he's going to be, you know, a great, great Florida state player over, over the years. Uh, but it's going to take him a while to get there. And, you know, if you, if you look at the BU game, you know, Malik Osborne plays six minutes in the first half, and then he never comes out in the second half until there's like 10 seconds left in overtime. And so, and polite, I believe played all but one minute in the, in the second half. And, and so it kind of felt to me that ham sort of abandoned his own principles of, you know, substitute early and often and constantly to keep fresh legs. And if you look at what BU was able to do down the stretch, you know, they just, they, they started picking us apart with, with back cuts and, you know, all the plays that tired defenders aren't able to defend, um, you know, BU was just, it was just hitting, you know, time, time and time again, and we couldn't get stops. And, and it's, you know, it's the exact opposite of the Tulane game. The Tulane game was, was our defense was fine, but our offense was just, God awful. And then, you know, this game, our offense was totally fine. And the defense was, you know, the one falling apart. Well, and, and part of the thing, yeah, the, the BU game, they just could not get stops. Florida state was up six or seven, the whole half and could not get stops. The Tulane game, you know, and that's a game where we did have Raekwon Evans. Uh, he was not good in that game. He had, well, okay. So he set a career career high with four blocks. He also had four turnovers and one for six shooting. I don't think it helped that, you know, Caleb Mills in that game, that, that was the game in which it, it, there was a point in time in the second half. I leaned over to Brett Nevitt, I think, and and noted that Caleb Mills had attempted more shots than uh, Malik Osborne, Anthony polite, Wyatt Wilkes. uh, and, And I believe Cameron Fletcher combined and, and he only made five, uh, so when you go five of 15 and also dribble the ball a lot, you know, yeah, I think the offense is, is going to struggle credit the team. And this maybe goes back to the first part of our, our podcast credit, the culture of the team for finding ways to win games like Tulane and for finding ways to win games like Boston university. And I know it's very easy to say, Oh, well that's BU and that's Tulane. And you know what? It was also Jacksonville state for the football team that they lost. So credit the culture of the team for finding ways to win games. You have to do that in March. You do not have your a game or even B plus games, six straight games. Uh, maybe except for that one year, Villanova just beat the crap out of everybody uh, or UNLV, but it, it does, it does seem concerning that they just haven't been able to put it all together in some games and then and then the next next game they turn around and, and blow the doors off a solid loyal Maramont team but again maybe that's just the inconsistency that they're fighting through right now yeah and I, th- I, th- I think if they can just get on the same page then that'll enable the three experienced guys to be more consistent and then if you get a you know good contributions from like two of the new guys you know then you're then you're going to be competitive in all the games if we're you know if, if we're relying on Caleb Mills to just uh, dribble through possessions and score all the time, then, you know, we're not going to be successful. It's got to be, it's, you know, it's, it's got to be back to, you know, moving the ball rapidly with passes, uh, you know, around the perimeter, sort of probing for that opening and then, you know, get in, make a, get a shot, get the offensive rebound or whatever. And right, you know, right now the offense is just, 
it's still trying to feel out like what it is that they're supposed to be doing and our talent level against BU enabled us to just kind of score when we needed to, but the, but the actual offense, you know, maybe wasn't the half court offense, maybe, you know, probably wasn't that good. Yeah. Yeah. So let's talk about maybe a couple of things that the team has been doing consistently. Well, um, they're turning teams over 27% of their possessions and, and we're only six games in, I'm sure that number is going to come down. That would destroy the best mark under Hamilton. Uh, if, if they kept that up, I, I think I, I didn't write every season. I think 24.1% is the best. I want to say back in one of those Chris Singleton days, uh, 24.1 or 23.9 or something like that, uh, turning teams over. Problem is we also turned the ball over about 23.9% of the possessions that year. I want to say maybe like 2010 or something. Um, we are at our, be- like, I feel like we are to the point in this six games in it, it is pretty clear that if if we face a team who is unable to take care of the basketball and and sort of get sped up and either makes the poor choice or is sort of sucked into a game that is up tempo and somewhat sloppy they might get they might get run off the court against this team because because we are turning we are turning teams over a ton and scoring well in transition uh when we do and the other thing we're doing well is offensive rebounding you mentioned i'd love to see it you know our best offense and it won us the game against bu in in overtime our best offense might be get a shot up early in the shot clock and crash the offensive glass We're, we're 27th in the country uh at offensive rebounding percentage matt cleveland won it on an offensive rebound um, in, in the, in the BU game. And we also, uh, were, we were staying in it in the UF game earlier on with some of the offensive rebounding. So those are some two things that I've at least, uh, seen we're doing consistently. Well, do you think both or one of those can, can be, you know, moderately maintained through the rest of the year? We'll see about the, the turnover thing. I mean, that this team is long, they're jumping passing lanes. It's going to, it's going to stay high all year. Um, it's one of those stats that's not going to be consistent. You know, some, some games you're going to turn teams over a bunch. They're going to miss shots. We're going to have plenty of opportunities to run, and we're just going to run teams out of the gym because, you know, our, our transition offense is pretty much at a March level right now. I mean, mm-hmm. it's, 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 it's tough to stop. I would, I would like to see Florida state, uh, on made buckets, try to push the ball a little faster. You know, we, we tend to just kind of walk over, pick up the rebound, throw it in, dribble it up, you know, and, and that's not playing to the, probably to the strengths of this team. So that's one thing that I would like to see tweaked. And then, you know, you, you hit it on the head with the offensive rebounding. It's just, just get a shot up. We'd so many times, you know, you, you, Anthony polite or Evans or somebody just passes up a wide open three we pass it around for 10 more seconds and turn the ball over. And it's just that that's not good. That's it's not a good philosophy. We need to have guys with less indecision, you know, taking more shots. And I'd be happy with that. Yeah. I mean, one, once again, uh, I, it's third or fourth time out of the last five years, fourth out of the last five, we're the tallest team in the country. Uh, I know that we've actually played small a bit more than, than in past years, but we are, and we're not just tall, we're long and we're athletic. Take the shot, take, Take yep. the shot and get guys like Matt Cleveland, Malik Osborne, 
Um, you know, e- even even uh, Anthony Polite, get on the offensive glass uh, and and do some work there. I, you know, you talk about pushing after makes. That's been actually, I haven't watched film of uh, the two games that were in Jacksonville, but that that's been my maybe pleasant surprise with Jalen Worley. I feel like he's now sometimes he's over dribbled a bit, and he's he needs to learn that it's not high school and and you pushing pace actually can work really well by passing uh, up the court, but he, I think he's done a better job maybe uh, than some of the others of, of trying to get us into our offense earlier in the, in the shot clock, as opposed to exploring what's at the top of the key for a little while. Yeah. And in Trent's final year, you, you know, we, we had a lot of possessions where the other team would score and we would get a layup, you know, just, mm. just because, you know, he was, great at just pushing the pushing the pace and you know evans is not going to be that guy but but worley like i agree with you he he tends to dribble into traffic too much which is problematic but he'll you know he'll figure that out that's a freshman thing yeah it's it's kind of totally non-top five recruit freshman thing right yeah right (laughs) sorry he's not paolo bancaro (laughs) yeah yeah paolo Uh, bancaro can dribble into into traffic and be just fine yeah um you know Speaking of maybe, the, well, let me say one more thing on Worley and then we'll open it up to the rest of the newcomers. I, I'm actually, you know, so I, I was a student athlete in college um, and I, I'm looking forward to this, this Lipscomb to maybe Boston College set here of four games. I think we've got Lipscomb, UCF, North Florida, and then like a eh, Boston College team. Those guys aren't going to be going to class during that time. Uh, it'll be the first time this year as the full team that they're able to practice most of the day, not all of it affirmed like NCA hours, but, you know, watching some film, getting in the gym, helping each other out, you know? And so I'm, I'm actually interested. I think you could see by the wake forest game, for example, in early January, I think you could see a, a Jalen Worley who has taken some steps forward after having four games over all, all against manageable competition over over the time period when he is not studying for college level classes um speaking of the rest of the newcomers i i'm curious two guys who have really surprised me with their with the level of contributions we're seeing from them in the first six games of their first year on campus are john butler and cameron fletcher john butler is flashing really his entire skill set. Uh, so in each of the six games, we've we've seen uh, some block shots from him. We've seen some made threes. We've seen him put it on the deck. Uh, we've seen him be effective as a rebounder and a passer. Even he's he's he seems shows a knack of 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 passing over the using his height and length to pass over the top of the defense. And then Cameron Fletcher just has incredible defensive instincts. Shout about jumping passing lanes. Uh, he he really has made an impact on the defensive side. And, and he's a better three point shooter than I thought maybe too. I mean, small sample size, but he's six of 14. D- did you expect either of these two guys to be giving us the game by game impact uh, th- this first year that they've had? Well, I knew Butler was going to be good. And I, I, you know, if he stayed all four years, like I, he's like a Jersey in the rafters kind of recruit. He's not going to be here four years, but you know, he, he's that good. And, 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 you know, there was talk of, of redshirting him, you know, and on the message boards just because he's so thin and, you know, that's just not going to happen. Um, 
I would like to see him be a little more aggressive on, on the offensive end. You know, he's a total unicorn and impossible to guard. And he, he shot the ball really well, including like, you know, 18 foot, you know, one, one dribble jump shots, you know, and, and which is, you know, an NBA shot. And with Cameron Fletcher, I did not expect him to have this kind of an impact. You know, I was, I was hoping that, he could just, you know, spend the year getting accustomed to the culture and and kind of figuring out. But he takes over for stretches of a game, and it's 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 impressive. He's a, you know, we knew he was a high level athlete, but I did not know that he that he would be able to pick up, you know, like defensive nuances so quickly. And you know, he's got a grown man's body, and he's 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 that piece that I think that some of the, our past teams have have kind of missed. You know, you want a guy out there who's going to bully people. You know, you want a guy out there who's going to get in people's faces. And, you know, Fletcher seems to be that guy. He just, he fouls too much. He's got to figure that out. But other than that, he's been, he's been great. Yeah. Fletcher, among the people who play at least a quarter of our minutes, Fletcher is the second best offensive rebounder on the team so far. Uh, and, and on top of that, like you said, he bullies people on defense and, and he does foul and Yeah in a big game, that would be a problem. I, I, but right now I almost like, like to see some aggressiveness from a young kid that's out there and just hungry to, to make a difference. He's on the court and, and the three point shooting has been really, I mean, I get, I already said it six 14, but that, that allows him, I think to, to not just be someone who can only spend small amount of minutes on, I mean, he can play both ways. And right now, the more he puts that on film, even if he goes into a little bit of a funk, even if six of 14 turns into eight of 20 or eight of 22, there's film of him burying, you know, threes from the wing in the corner and, and opponents are going to have to respect that when he's in the game, uh, which is going to open up more shots uh, for some of our slashers, like a Matt Cleveland, who, who does not appear right now to have a comfortable three point shot. He's very comfortable off the dribble in the mid range. Um, but that, that will be opened up the more that people like Fletcher can put film on tape of making threes Butler, you, you were, I think you were higher on him for this season than I was. I think we both are very intrigued by his long-term skill set. I think that the way the NBA game is going, he seems like a great fit for the modern NBA game. I just was concerned at how he was going to be able to, frankly, defend uh, this year with his strength. He seems to have better functional strength than his body would appear to have just by looks. And, and he really can get to his spots on offense. I, it's concerning that he has taken a grand total of zero free throws. Maybe that's just him starting to feel his way out in an offense where he's, you know, oftentimes fourth or fifth option on the court. But he, he seems like someone that's going to make a difference for us all season long. Yeah, and he, you kind of have to think of him as like a, a really tall Wyatt Wills. You know, I mean, he's, he's, he's out there taking jump shots. He's not driving to the basket. And he'll 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 develop that part of his game, but you know for now he's a, he's a jump shooter, and you know hopefully we can get him a little more involved in transition. You know I think that's where he can, he can probably you know take advantage of his size to get to get to the line. Um, and on defense, he's you know he's tasked with guarding you know one through five, and there are smaller guards who are going to blow right by him. And but he's shown the ability to recover, and he's just his his arms are like nine feet long, so he he just even if he's behind them, you know, he's still, he's still impacting their shot and impacting their thought process. And, 
you know, just causing all kinds of trouble. He's a, he's a great guy to have as a secondary defender, you know, just rotating over and, and, you know, blocking shots. And it's, it's, it's been impressive to watch on both ends of both ends of the floor. Yeah. He, he's also fouling a bit too much. He's right, right at about five fouls called per 40. Uh, But although I, I think given his role, you know, if he's, if he's giving you two to three blocks a game, I don't know, maybe I'll take that. Uh, I'd like to see that closer to four fouls called per 40, as opposed to five. Uh, but again, freshmen, freshmen are going to freshmen. Uh, the, the one newcomer that we, we've spent some time on Worley, we've spent some time on uh, Mills. I'll, I'll note that we don't know the severity of it, but uh, Naheem McLeod stepped on a basketball prior to the Boston University game and, and was had a, his foot in a boot um, for that game immediately. I, so whether it's sprained, broken, I would imagine that he doesn't play for a month plus, just if I had to guess, just given the, the way that those things tend to go at Florida State, uh, depending on how our season goes, wouldn't be surprised if he is shut down for the rest of the year, uh, since he's only played in four games and would still qualify for a redshirt. But, um, you know, we haven't talked a ton about Matthew Cleveland. He, he maybe had his Patrick Williams game uh, when Patrick Williams sort of took over late against Western Carolina a couple years ago and sort of turned what would have been an ugly home loss into a late win. Uh, but Matthew Cleveland, he, he is clearly comfortable slashing to the rim and hitting those floaters in the lane. Uh, he, his body control is excellent. He, he's been good on defense. He, he is, you know, maybe not jumped quite as many passing lanes as I, was ex- I would expect, but he's able to alter some shots and get on the defensive glass and start the transition, start uh, the fast break. Uh, are you expecting Matthew Cleveland to maybe take the next step up into starter even or or like was is that bu game a sign of things to come for him yeah i think i think back to was it michael snare who who played the about the first half of his freshman season coming off the bench and Mm -hmm. then you know got inserted into the starting lineup for the rest of his career and cleveland seems to be on that same uh, you know sort of trajectory i i did really appreciate how emotional he was after he made that shot you know, that, that just shows that somebody has to win and, uh, you know, has that drive. And, and that's the kind of guys that you want out on the court is guys who take winning and losing extremely seriously, like way too seriously than, than probably is, is, is good for you. But, um, you know, that's what you want to see. And right now his mid-range game is he's NBA ready in the mid-range. Um, the rest of his game needs a lot of work, but he has obviously the tools to uh, um, to do it. He's a five star for a reason, and you watch him move on the court, and it's you know it's pretty clear that he's a he's a different type of dude than than you know probably a, you know, a lot of the guys who are guarding him. Yeah, yeah, he's he's six of twelve from the free throw line. I I I would like. <laughs> It's a double-edged sword. I would like him to get to the free throw line more because I would always like for us to be drawing fouls. His shot clearly is a work in progress there. Uh, He sort of pushes the ball. He doesn't really have, you know, you look at John Butler and it's just this beautiful, you know, hand in the cookie jar rotation on it and stuff. And and Cleveland's doing a little bit of push in there. Uh, Doesn't just look comfortable. He's at the right school. Stan Jones has proven consistently as recently as last year when Scotty Barnes also went from, uncomfortable at the free throw line to at least serviceable uh, by the end of the season. And frankly, that was a big part of him moving up draft boards. 
So um, I think he's at the right school. I would imagine that uh, Cleveland is, is up above 60, 65% from their free throw line uh, later in the season, which will probably make him more apt to feel comfortable getting there. Um, I, I don't know that we're going to see much improvements from the three-point line this year. If by chance he stays for a second year, perhaps that's a weapon he adds to his arsenal. Right now, he seems clearly at his best in that NBA mid-range game, which I think given the shooters of Polite, Evans, if he'll actually take shots from the perimeter, uh, Wilkes, Butler, Fletcher, Osborne, all those guys can, can bang down some threes. So I don't know that we need that from Matthew Cleveland. I, I do think that we will need uh, his aggressiveness uh, and, and for him to become, like you said, maybe like inserted into the starting lineup or at least playing starters minutes, probably by early January. Yeah. And, and, you know, if he's able to do that, that's obviously a good sign. Um, you brought up a good point about the three point, you know, his game kind of opens up uh, three pointers for other people. And, and Ham has consistently said that, you know, this, this might be his best three point shooting team. He said the same thing last year and, uh, it was within a fraction of a of a percentage points of of actually being true. Um, so I think I think that you know to date we've shot in thirty seven point six or thirty eight percent from thirty seven point six, which is identical to our season percentage yep. from last year thirty seven point six. And it, and it's felt like we've just missed so many shots that typically make like polite. I've never seen him miss shots like that, that, that he's missing now. And you got to figure that that's going to, that's going to change. And then, you know, Wilkes has had some wide open threes that, you know, he, he's, he's always been streaky, but those are shots that he knocks down. And, and so if, if Butler, guys like Butler and Fletcher and, and Osborne can continue to shoot at a high level, um, you know, I, I think that Ham could be right and we could have a really good three-point shooting team. Um, you know, Osborne is obviously not going to shoot 64% for the season, but he looks totally comfortable just, just dribbling into, into, into a three. Yeah, I'll go on record right now and saying that I do think that we finish with the highest three-point shooting percentage in Hamilton's uh, tenure, probably maybe eking up above 38%. Um, I, I think that Osborne and Fletcher will probably regress a little bit to the mean, but neither guy are high volume. So that's not going to move the needle as much as polite and Wilkes and probably even um, a Caleb Mills progressing. I think they each well, polite. I think will bust out here with like a five for seven game pretty soon. Uh, and, and then Mills and Wyatt, I, I think we'll both get up into that 36, 37% range. So yeah, I, I will go on record now and say that, Assuming a guy like Cleveland doesn't start jacking up four threes a game, we should finish uh, at or setting a new record or just at the record of, of best three-point shooting team in Hamilton's tenure. All right. Um, any other things you want to say real quick on, on the first six games of the season before we take a break and, and move into Purdue and Syracuse? Nor Ingham took a three. That was fun. <laughs> it, it, it actually looked pretty good it kind of went in and out so i don't know if that's if that's something that he's going to be doing more of this year or if that was just a total mind fart and he you know he just chucked one up thinking he was in practice I, we that, need him to fun. get going though i'll say that we need him to be yeah. he's playing 18 percent of our total minutes we need that to be closer to 30 i think he'd have made a difference against castleton and, and uf yeah, and especially considering, you know, we've got some games coming up with with some, you know, pretty skilled big men and 
and we absolutely need him to be able to play, you know, 18 minutes or whatever a game. Yeah. So maybe, maybe that's a note for the future, uh, for a future episode to check in on how Tenor is doing. I, I think he is someone who could take, uh, could take our defense up another level. Uh, okay. So let's take a break then. And we will come back and spend just the rest of the time on our upcoming two games, uh, both of which are against some talented competition. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. All right, uh, back back here with with Michael Rogner. We spent the first uh, half hour or so, maybe thirty five minutes, on uh, comparing the Florida State basketball program to the state of things with the football program, and sort of like a look back at where things were when Hamilton first came, compared to with Norvell's uh, era here, and and then sort of just reviewing general notes, thoughts, trends, reflections on the uh, six game, the five and one start for your Florida State Seminoles on the hard court. Let's look at the upcoming two games. It's it's a so they played three games in four days with Loyola, Marymount, Missouri, and Boston. They then take six days off for the holiday and travel up to West Lafayette, Indiana, uh, in the ACC Big Ten Classic or Challenge, I believe it's called, to take on what what Michael might be might be the best basketball team in the country. Um, I'm sure Gonzaga and Duke would, would say something about that and probably Kansas fans as well, but, you know, Purdue looks as good as anybody else right now. Uh, and, and they are a, they typically have a very nice home environment. So, um, I don't know, I'm not feeling all that enthusiastic about our chances against Purdue, but tell, tell me why I'm, why I should be optimistic maybe, or, or no, just keep the expectations low. (laughs) Yeah, that's that's a tough one. I mean, you're kind of painting me into a corner to give you a reason to be optimistic, and and I don't have a lot. The, I think I think the odds of losing this game by 20 plus are probably greater than the odds of winning it. Uh, Purdue is just their offense is unbelievable, and you know Florida State's defense kind of predicates itself on taking away the things that other teams do well. And I just don't know that that you know the defense is is ready for you know what what's coming on 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 Tuesday night. Um, they don't force turnovers, so maybe we'll, you know maybe we'll be able to actually play a clean game and be able to stick around you know on offense. But that game the other night with Duke and and Gonzaga, you saw two teams that you know were really playing at a high level, and it was a close game all the way and. You know, obviously we want this, this, you know, Florida State Purdue game to be the same level, but I don't, I just, you know, question whether Florida State's really ready for this. Well, and that game was played on a neutral court in Las Vegas, 50 50 uh, stands, both teams relatively new to the sight lines. I, I mean, let me hit you. Here's Purdue's offense this year, Michael. They scored 96, 92, 96, 93. 80 in a 60 possession game against a top 10 Villanova team. So that's so pretty darn efficient. And then 97. 
they they are eighth in the country. We were talking about Florida State shooting pretty well, 37, 38% from three. They are eighth in the country at 43.5% shooting from three as a team. And when they miss, they are fourth in the country, grabbing over 41% of the available offensive rebounds. Michael, we don't necessarily do well on the defensive glass, and we don't oftentimes <laughs> prevent teams from getting open threes. You combine that with the fact that they have not one, but two big men who are <laughs> rebounding uh, over 20%. Uh, they're, they're sixth and seventh in the country, offensive rebounding, and, and they one of them is shooting 75% on the year and the other is shooting 68% from two on the year. I, I don't understand how we're going to slow them down short of winning the three-point lottery. Yeah, they have uh, obviously you know some some weapons on offense, but that that combo of Zach Eady and Trevion Williams in, in the middle is just unbelievable. Zach Eady's seven foot four; he's made seven seventy five percent of his shots on the season. He's a he's a you know he doesn't move as well as as Engam, but we're clearly going to need Engam to be ready to to play this game. And then they're rolling Trevion Williams off the bench and he was a preseason all Big right. Ten He's pick. a senior all Big Ten player. <laughs> yeah. And he is just, you know, lights out when he comes in. And he's he's kind of he's very different from Edie. He's smaller. He's about six ten, but he's a bull and and impossible to guard. And then they have Jaden Ivey who I haven't I he's a sophomore and I haven't been checking the the NBA draft boards or anything but i can't imagine that he won't be uh, you know a lottery pick at, at the end of the season and it's not based strictly on potential like he's a fully formed player at, at 19 or 20 or uh, however old he is um, and then they surround those those guys with a bunch of guys and who can hit threes so it's 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 a problem yeah Edie is is i mean if you imagine michael ojo seven four 295 maybe not quite as like chiseled cut but just except for the fact that you give him outstanding basketball skill right and and the ability to to post a, i mean like you said he's hitting 75 percent of his he's 39 of 52 on the season and he's knocking down 85 percent of his free throws 28 for 33 from the free throw line this guy's seven four 295 i um, now, you know, I guess the, there's sometimes a school of thought of you actually go so counterintuitive that you you play guys like Malik or even like a Matthew Cleveland who just you have to be prepared to take it right into his chest and and draw the foul. Uh, Travion Williams is getting called for over five fouls per 40. So you can get some of these guys into foul trouble if if you are decisive and dribble with a purpose. And, and take it right into the chest, but you better be prepared to finish through contact because if you go up weak, that is getting swatted back and you are not getting the call in Purdue's house. Yeah. They also have a, you know, talking about getting swatted, they have a six ten guy who plays on the perimeter. So they have, they have plenty of guys who can block shots. They're top 20 in the country at blocking shots. And then though, the one place that we could potentially give them trouble is that, you know, Florida State plays a different style of defense than than basically any other team in the country. And Zach Eady and Travion Williams are not used to to being fronted. You know, when they're when they're calling for the ball in the post, so it's going to be 
or it could be, you know, more challenging to get those guys involved in, in the half court offense, but it's going to have to be one of those games where it seems like Florida state has six defenders on the floor and it's everybody flying around everybody in sync. Um, if we, if we get, if we get out of sync, it's a layup or an open three. Yeah. I, I think I, I'm not confident. I, I think we lose by double digits. I think if you tell me, well, Matt, envision a game in which Florida State has a chance with three minutes to go, I, you got to win the three-point lottery. and We got to hit some early, right? You have to hit some early to, to put a little pressure on the other team. They need to shoot 35% as opposed to 45%. And one of the two bigs needs to get in foul trouble. And, and, I'm, and a guy that I feel like could maybe make some of that happen is Cameron Fletcher. I think he can hit a shot or two early. I think that he's able to, let's say we get a couple steals, we're front in the pose, a couple deflections, steals. That's a great way to get a big man in trouble. You know, you, you go into the body in transition or as the secondary trailer when there's still a little bit of a scramble and they haven't had a chance to set their defense yet. You know, that could happen. And, and again, you sort of take the fight to, you do what Florida did to us and take the fight to them. And, you know, maybe you get a team that quite honestly hasn't been in a close game. Like they haven't really been pressured that much. Maybe you get a team back on their heels and, and that's a, and that's a possibility. But if they start, if, if we start a little slow and we're over helping on those bigs down underneath and leading guys like uh, Sasha Stefanovic open, I mean, we're talking about a dude who's hit, he's already had three games this year of four or more threes. Right. He was five for six, five for 11, four for eight. Um, last year, he had several games with five, even a six, six, three point game. So you just can't overhelp on, on I mean, you got to play it straight and let's see if the ball goes in. But I, I don't know. I, to me, it, I say we move on to Syracuse, quite honestly, because this feels <laughs> yeah. like uh, this feels like 92 to maybe 78 Purdue. Yeah, I think I think if we win, I'll take Anthony Polite as the guy who who has the game. Like he in the tournament last year, he had some crazy game against Colorado, and and you know, we'll see something like that if Florida State is able to pull the upset. Yeah. Okay. So we are we are both feeling like the record is is headed to five and two uh, against Purdue here coming up. Why don't we switch over to Syracuse, which quite quite honestly is a much more important game. So we play t- uh, Purdue on Tuesday. We get Syracuse on Saturday. Purdue, uh, Syracuse, by the way, coming off a loss to Auburn on a neutral court. They play Indiana on Tuesday. So we play Purdue. They get the uh, other Big Ten team in Indiana, and then they travel down to Florida State. And, and with all due respect to Purdue, I mean – Losing a non-conference game on the road is nothing to the tournament committee. I mean, that just looks like you did what you were supposed to do. Uh, if we were to pull the upset, you can go ahead and put us down for a four seed right now. Uh, the Syracuse game, both with it being a home game and opening up conference play, you did not want to start 0-1 in conference play. Uh, that, that game certainly of more importance uh, and one in which I think that Unless, unless we just have one of those Ofer nights from three, I, I think that I feel pretty good about our ability to attack this Syracuse team. Yeah, we've we've been pretty successful against you know Beheim zone in, in the past, and so the the coaches very clearly know how to attack it. 
will the new guys be able to pick that up and in, in just a few days of practice hope you know hopefully we've we've already been working on it because as you mentioned this game is more important Syracuse now has three Bayheim, so they've got the coach and Buddy, and then they added uh, Jimmy, who, would, who was playing at Cornell um, previously. He's kind of the the he's bigger, he's you know than his brother Buddy, but he's made forty six percent of his threes so far this year. Pretty limited shot selection. Um, he hasn't been a great three point shooter in the past. So I don't know. I don't know how that's going to hold. Um, but they're you know. If you've watched Syracuse in the past, you know exactly what you're going to get. get. They're going to have a go-go gadget guy in the middle, you know, surrounded by the four other guys playing the zone. And their defense, you know, to date has not been that good, despite the fact that they have three seniors and two juniors in the starting lineup. And they also have zero functional depth. You know, it's, 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 they basically play six guys, maybe seven guys. And so if it, if it's, you know, reft in any way that is beneficial to calling fouls, you know, Syracuse could get into some serious trouble. And, you know, I, I'm with you that I think, you know, home game, we don't lose them the tuck. Hopefully it'll be a good crowd. Um, yeah. I, I think that the Syracuse game is, is really winnable. Well, and they're, and they're just not turning teams over. I'm not saying that the two, three zone was always a turnover creating machine, but they, I don't know. They, while they, while they, they just don't quite have anyone that has that just like freakishly long length, maybe that that is really, really exerting pressure on on teams on the perimeter, or, or maybe maybe they do and they're just not being used. It, like you said, their defense has been exploitable this season. Can they get it turned around in the next week? I mean, yeah, we're, we're six games into the season. A, a lot of teams are a work in progress right now. Uh, maybe they figure something out in their home game against Indiana, but you know, Matt Cleveland seems like a guy that is just going to accept, like you, you get a guy like Matt Cleveland into the short corner or right in that center of the zone and let him shoot pass. Uh, even, you know, even guys like Mills that are able to break it down. As long as we don't start doing that thing where we're dribbling into where the zone wants you to dribble into, I, I think we're going to be okay. You know, Osborne can, can hit that uh, short corner shot. Matt Cleveland can, we should be able to, to generate some transition offense after, I mean, they're not going to make every three. So after some long rebounds off missed threes, uh, we should be able to transition uh, and, and I, and really just wear them down. We've, we've done that a lot in the Tucker center. We've, we've withstood some barrages of, of offensive displays from some NBA caliber guards uh, and wings that Bayheim has brought down over the years. And, and we seem to just wear them down and, and find ways to execute in the last 10 minutes of the game. And I would expect the same thing in the sun. Yeah, and I think the, the big difference you nailed it is that in the past, uh, Bayheim's had pros, you know, out, out on the court. And, and this year, it's just, you know, I'm not, I'm not seeing it. They're, the, the talent level is, is not that great, you know, when, when Buddy Bayheim is your best player. Um, you know, that's probably not a good sign. And, you know, the rest of the guys are just, you know, they're solid players, but, you know, they, they all have big holes in their game. Like Gerard plays 35 minutes a game and he's 6-1. You know, it's really hard to, to run an effective zone when you have a guy 6-1 who's not, you know, Tony Douglas. So. And, and you know, we've played against Gerard. Gerard played all 40 minutes in the game again in 2020. You know, arguably our best team uh, of the Hamilton era. And, and that was a close game. That was 80-77. to 77. 
Um, and, you know, Florida State, you know, and what they had Elijah Hughes. They had that NBA talent. He's, I think he's with, the, he's playing with Forrest with the Jazz right now. Elijah Hughes came in 25 points, uh, a couple of assists, few steals. He was, he was rocking uh, off the dribble twos. Uh, and, and that opened up Gerard to make five of 12 threes, but he was two for 10 inside the arc because like you just said, he's six, one name me a small guard in the last five years that has had, you know, a lot of success against Florida state. And, and it's, you know, he's listed at six, one, it's probably half an inch shorter than that. It's not a great recipe for success in a two, three zone. And it's not a great recipe for success operating an offense against guys like Cameron Fletcher and Anthony polite. Yeah, when you can you can just pass right over top of them, that's a problem. One one you know interesting point is that you know you brought up the, the twenty twenty game, and that's that's the last time we played. I don't believe we played Syracuse last year, so I think that was one of the games any, that got canceled. Maybe. Yeah. So any preparation that guy that guys who were here last year would have gotten, you know, they they, they you know did not prepare for Syracuse last year so it's it's it's, it's going to be a little steeper of a learning curve it might be one of those games where you know we really struggle early Syracuse takes the lead and then the second half the the coaches you know make some adjustments in halftime and and we come out and just blow them out so what what you might take away and, and we're not uh, advocating anything on this uh show and we certainly take no responsibility for bets gone sideways but you might consider uh Syracuse in the first half to cover and Florida State to cover in the second half, uh, if, if you were inclined to do so. Uh, all right. So the sounds like then I've got you down, Michael, for a, uh, a blowout loss on the road to Purdue and a comeback win. Maybe you want to give me a number for the Syracuse game. Yeah, I'll take uh, 72 to, to 65. Okay. Uh, I will agree with you on the Purdue game and I'll say slightly higher scoring. I'll, I'll say that um, maybe we, maybe buddy, buddy likes the friendly shooting line sight lines of tuck. Uh, and, and we kind of torch that defense in the second half for uh, 80 to 74 over Syracuse. And the Purdue game, if we're, if we're the, the first team to hold them below 80 or the second team to hold them below 90, then. I would consider that a, a success. I point. imagine it's going to be what 72, 73 possessions probably. Uh, and, and if that is the case, I would imagine that they are over 90. <laughs> if you had to ask, yeah. if I was truthfully asking, uh, probably that. a safe bet. Yeah. yeah. So, all right. Uh, well, it's been fun. Uh, maybe we'll, we'll watch, maybe who knows, maybe this is going to be the, the, the great two no week and sort of the awakening of the 2020 uh, two team, but um, either way, it's going to be fun, and uh, we'll we'll come back and talk about it next week. Sounds good. It's good talking to you as always. Yeah, and uh, and I, I look forward to something happening Tuesday night. Hopefully, it's good. Absolutely. For uh, for Michael, I'm Matt signing off.